It's Thursday, January 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. After years' worth of accusations of sexual misconduct against R. Kelly, the R&B legend may be about to face legal consequences yet again. After Lifetime aired a six-part docuseries called Surviving R. Kelly, Officials in Georgia have started investigating him, and Illinois officials have also asked for anyone with information to come forward. David Mack, reporter for BuzzFeed News, joins us to discuss R. Kelly's past and all the new interests surrounding him. Next, the Consumer Electronics Show is underway in Las Vegas, previewing tons of cool gadgets and tech. Jefferson Graham, host of the Talking Tech podcast, joins us to talk about some of the best things he's seen there, including smart shoes that detect when you fall, digital license plates, and so many TVs. Finally, an effort to clean up what is known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a patch of trash that has 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic and weighs 88,000 tons, has failed. Ocean Cleanup, a startup with aspirations of capturing the trash and bringing it to land, creating a floating system that would corral all of it, has broken down under the stress of the ocean. Matt Simon, science writer at Wired, joins us for what has happened. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. People can speak with their dollars. I scrubbed my devices. I scrubbed my kids' devices. I think we need good corporate citizens. Why is he still signed to a record label? Why does he still have a commercial lease for his studio? People need to speak with their dollars and mute R. Kelly. Joining us now is David Mack, deputy director for Breaking News at BuzzFeed News. We're going to be talking about R. Kelly and the latest bubble up of accusations against him. It's all stuff that we've heard before, but it's gaining new scrutiny now. You know, it's been 25 years worth of accusations of sexual misconduct against R. Kelly and Lifetime aired a series called Surviving R. Kelly. It was a six part docuseries that kind of just goes from his early career all the way up until the last big news that we heard from 2017 about how he has a sex cult in his home and he's keeping women against their will there. What's the latest? Well, uh, that last thing you mentioned, the sex cult story, was one that BuzzFeed News broke back in 2017 as well. As you said, the documentary explored that. There are a bunch of parents who have told police that their adult daughters are being held captive, to use their words, that they've been brainwashed by this man and they're being held both in one of his properties in Georgia, in Atlanta, and in Chicago as well, and that he's using them in a kind of, as you to use your word, sex cult cultish kind of way, requiring sexual services over them and controlling every aspect of their lives. Some of the women who uh, were involved in that in the past spoke to BuzzFeed News in 2017 and were also involved in this documentary, Surviving R. Kelly, as you mentioned. And as you said, this has been going on for many years now. There's been allegations about sexual misconduct and sexual abuse involving him. Of course, famously, he was acquitted in a child pornography case several years ago. He famously married the singer Leah when she was 15 years old. And and this documentary has sort of thrust his name back into the headlines again. And also it appears now back into law enforcement's attention because yesterday we were able to confirm that the prosecutor's office in uh, the Fulton County, which is in Atlanta, has been uh, reaching out to people who appeared in the documentary to try to start guess, an investigation there in the very early stages, it sounds like. But also the uh, Cook County State's Attorney in Illinois, in Chicago there, has put out a public plea for information for people to come forward because course. So she said her office has received a ton of information since the documentary aired and that they want uh, 
more than anyone else with information to come forward. And she said in particular, they've been in touch with two families who believe that their loved ones may be with Kelly. So lots of movement here in the last couple of days. Some of the women that have been allegedly in the sex cult and whatnot, they spoke to outlets like TMZ and have said that they're perfectly fine, that they're not brainwashed. But the families don't buy that at all. So, yeah, let's talk about this one woman in particular, Joycelyn Savage. And she was featured in our story in 2017. Her parents, Jay and Tim Savage, or John Dillon and Tim Savage, spoke to BuzzFeed News at the time and spoke to the police, fearful that their daughter had become brainwashed and trapped by this man. They uh, were the ones whose lawyer I spoke to yesterday who told me, who was able to confirm that the DA's office had reached out to him to start gathering a contact information. But Joycelyn has an interesting story. She, she met him at a concert with her family several years ago, 2015, and was invited with him backstage to begin pursuing a music career with him. They exchanged numbers, and fairly soon she left her family. Her family say, basically, she cut off all contact with them after this happened. She went from being a normal relationship to cutting off all contact. And after our story came out, you may remember she appeared in two videos that were leaked to TMZ in which she sort of publicly came forward and told everyone to stop worrying about her, that she was fine. But at the time, her father said he wasn't happy with the videos that she released. He said that it was clear she wasn't herself, that she was being controlled. There was even evidence, he said, that there was a shadow in the room that was moving across her, indicating that someone else, perhaps R. Kelly, was in the room as she was recording that video. So she's very much central to this whole story. Talk to us a little bit about how R. Kelly has been able to skirt a lot of this criticism for so long. I mean, he's a legend in the R&B world. I mean, there's countless songs that people love and a lot of people are put in this weird position now. It's like, hey, I'm still a fan of R. Kelly's music, but now they're being confronted with all this stuff all over again. There's radio stations that have pulled his uh, music catalog from their stations. Lady Gaga is facing pressure to confirm R. Kelly because she did a song with him in 2013. What's going on with all of this? Well, so I think that question could be asked to be fairly about any of the powerful men that we've seen in entertainment over the last year and a half get exposed or have allegations come out against them, really, to be honest. Our story landed in July 2017. It was by Jim DeRogatis, a Chicago reporter who contributed to BuzzFeed. You've got to remember that was a few months before the Weinstein stories and exposés that began the kind of Me Too movement that we see, that we've seen since then, where uh, there's very public reckoning, I think it's fair to say, with artists and celebrities and actors and producers and writers and the works that they produce and people are thinking about them a lot differently than perhaps they were a few years ago. So if you ask, you know, how did he get away with it for all these years or how did his music kind of endure for all these years, I think you have to, you know, recognize that the last year and a half has reshaped the public consciousness in a way that perhaps we hadn't seen in years before. And I certainly think there is a movement now since the Time's Up movement and the Me Too movement to look at R. Kelly differently. There is the uh, Mute R. Kelly campaign that's going around now where uh, people are trying to convince radio stations and uh, streaming platforms to uh, stop playing his music. And you're seeing arguably uh, more success with some of those now. I know I have a reporter who's speaking to some radio uh, DJs around the country who are telling him that they have sort of either silently or publicly stopped playing his music. So I think it's going to be interesting to see with this documentary and the public exposure that it's generating just what the reaction will be now compared to what it was just a couple of years ago, but also, you know, as many as you said, sort of 10 to 20 years ago as well. David Mack, Deputy Director for Breaking News at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure.
It will detect when, if you are to take a fall. And if you do take a fall, it will notify your relatives and friends. And for your subscribing to the shoe, you get a new shoe every year for $400. It's a novel concept. <laughs> Joining us now is Jefferson Graham host of the Talking Tech podcast for USA Today. From Terrible's Casino in Las Vegas. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, we're going to be talking about CES 2019, the Consumer Electronics Show. It happens every year. We get a lot of cool gadgets there, a lot of high-priced things that, you know, a lot of times maybe don't make it to market, but it's just kind of a big show where everybody puts out a lot of big potential, big ideas, it seems like. Let's start off by talking about some of the coolest things that you saw this year. We're continuing with wearables, uh, shoes and belts. Yeah, I think they're funny. So it's the connected shoe. It will only cost you $35 a month, and it will detect when, if you are to take a fall. And if you do take a fall, it will notify your relatives and friends. And for your subscribing to the shoe, you get a new shoe every year for $400. It's a novel concept. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm ready to go for it. And then the connected belt is pretty much the same thing. It's a $200 belt that will notify your friends when you fall. So these smart shoes aimed at an older market, if it has the fall detection? I guess so. And uh, I don't know any senior who would pay $400 for a pair of shoes. So there you go. The mailbox for people worried about porch thieves. I think this one is a great idea. It's a great idea, but there's a big but. So it's a great idea because it's basically you stick the package in there and it locks up. And then when you get home, you unlock the thing with an app or with a key. But the thing is giant. I mean, it's giant. I, I can't even tell you how big this thing is. And most people won't have room for it on their porch. Uh, how about the digital license plate? I like that one. I saw now, that. That's pretty cool. That's where you don't have to go to DMV. You don't have to send a new photo. You don't have to send in anything to the DMV when it's registration time. Your credit card is automatically built, and you get a sticker in the mail. And it will also cover you when you do parking and tolls. A lot of the places now make you put a fob in your car to pay for tolls. Uh, certainly, if anybody's ever gone over the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, there's no place to give them cash. So this will take care of that, but $500 a year versus Wow. So you'll be spending. Is that something that's already going to be available? Like have the the DMV, everybody signed on to that? Yeah, it's testing in California and it's coming to Arizona and Michigan in the spring. The one thing that I saw that I absolutely loved and I would buy it in a heartbeat is the automatic folding machine, the Foldmate that folds your clothes for you. It's kind of big, but I would still get that just thinking of how many hours you'd save in folding clothes every, you know, every year. That's true. The, the only question is, is, is it worth a thousand dollars to you? Because that's how much it costs. If you would see how many loads of laundry I do sometimes and how much clothes I have to fold, I would say yes, for me at least. It'll be available by the end of the year. A lot of uh, people are making a big deal about TVs. Samsung had a transparent wall TV and LG had this uh, roll-up TV that uh, just looks really amazing. I have a veteran of going to CS and every year it's the TVs. You can forget about every other product. It's the TV. Bigger, more beautiful, colorful. They're just awe-inspiring. And then this year, they're in higher resolution. They're in 8K, which is four times the resolution of a 4K set. This LG Rollable is in a case and then it just, it goes up. Like movie theater screen would do uh, once upon a time. They say it's going to cost around $10,000. $10,000. Oh my yeah, God. It'll be out, out in the second half of the year. So it's a cool trade show gimmick. I don't see a lot of consumers buying it. This seems like something maybe down the road in uh, another five, 10 years when they can scale the pricing better. It looks great comes with its own built-in sound bar. And as you said, it just rolls up and down. So when you don't want the TV there, you can, uh, you know, remove it basically. And Yeah, but the question is, what do you do with the space behind it? Because this is a big, big case. 
So uh, do you have a piece of art on the wall that just gets covered? That That's the question. You wrote an article about, as you said, you're a veteran of CES. A lot of times the products that they unveil there, they come out with big fanfare and, and whatnot, but they never really make it to market. Most will never see the light of day. 90% of the stuff that was on that floor is like everybody who goes to Las Vegas and hopes and dreams and rolls the dice and prays and says, please, please, please. That's what this stuff is. And last question, what was the best thing you saw or got to experience? A lot of times they just have a lot of display stuff. What was the best thing there? Well, the TVs were the best thing. The most unusual, memorable thing that I saw was I was in the backseat of an autonomous BMW SUV of the future watching a Batman comic book come to life on a giant screen in the back of the car oh, that's cool. with multiple speakers. And after the comic, then we watched the trailer for Aquaman. This was an example of what do we do when, when the robot is driving us around? How do we keep ourselves entertained? And that was pretty cool. A little look into the future there. Jefferson Graham, host of the Talking Tech podcast for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We love the marine life, so uh, we want to save them from the harmful plastic which is out there. So all of the design that we've done is with that in mind. We don't want to harm, we want to save them. Joining us now is Matt Simon, science writer at Wired. Halfway between California and Hawaii, there's something known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. People call it a mass or an island. It's just a bunch of junk and trash that has accumulated there. And it's huge. They say it's twice the size of Texas. It includes 1.8 trillion pieces of trash. A lot of it is plastic and microplastics and that it weighs 88,000 tons. There was a tech startup called Ocean Cleanup who devised a plan to try to help clean it up. It was this big U-shaped barge that was going to float in the ocean and collect the trash. And it launched to some great fanfare last year. Now we find out that it's broken. So Matt, tell us a little bit about what Ocean Cleanup was trying to do. As you mentioned, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is a total mess and total disaster because of ocean currents. That's where a lot of the plastic in the world ends up. The idea here with Ocean Cleanup was to take, as you had mentioned, a U-shaped 600-meter-long tube that is itself plastic um, (laughs) and to have it float along on the currents with the plastic, the idea being that the plastic would get caught in that U-shape and a support vessel would come out periodically and pick up that trash. So in November, unfortunately, the startup announced that the thing wasn't really working and the plastic was maybe coming into the U, but then moving out. Part of the problem seems to be that the plastic is moving far faster than the device itself, which is among the many concerns that oceanographers had in the run-up to the launch of this device. They are very skeptical this could actually work, but Ocean Cleanup went ahead with things, and that was before the thing actually snapped. Uh, They announced on New Year's Eve that a 16-meter-long piece at the end of the tube had popped off, not because of some massive storm, but because of normal wear and tear. 
And that is very concerning given that you want this thing at 600 meters long and costs many millions of dollars to be able to survive something like normal wear and tear. This is no small undertaking. The startup raised $40 million from donors and companies. People were putting a lot of time and energy and money into this. I think the CEO of Ocean Cleanup said that, hey, this is kind of a beta version. You know, we're testing it. So this is not a failure right now. They are saying that. But in the run up to the launch of the device and as the device has been working up until recently when it snapped, oceanographers have been saying, listen, this is a misunderstanding of how the ocean works, how plastic works out in the ocean. Because as I mentioned, given the physics of it all, a giant 600 meter long tube is going to move slower than the plastic is out there. So the plastic is just going to keep escaping from the device. Beyond the engineering problems, uh, it's tough to get a pipe that big to survive out in the very difficult conditions in the ocean. It just seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of how plastic works. And scientists have been warning about this, but Ocean Cleanup proceeded anyway. We're talking about how it's a concentration of trash that's really coming from all over the world. The bulk of it comes from China and other Asian countries and the ocean currents carry it all along the world. And then it concentrates there right in between Hawaii and California. Another problem that a lot of people were saying with the ocean cleanup model was that it had a like a, a nine foot skirt that would extend beyond that, you know, the top side of the barge to collect the trash. The problem is a lot of the times when the plastic breaks up, it ends up sinking to the ocean floor. So it's not going to even catch a lot of that stuff. That's another thing the scientists were warning about is that they don't have a very good understanding of where plastic is in the ocean, uh, in the water column, what depths, that sort of thing. But as you mentioned, it, it does sink to the bottom, but it also kind of swirls around in that middle area, not the surface where the cleanup is taking place, but below that. And that's typically these very small pieces of plastic, which tend to be very dangerous for ocean life, things like fish that will eat them and accumulate in their bodies. So by scraping along the surface, the device is really only picking up a very small fraction of the plastic. And that's given that it actually works. And clearly it, it did not uh, in its current state. What are people saying about how to actually help this problem. I mean, plastics in the ocean is so huge. I read somewhere that people were saying, let's spend 95% of our time and energy on not having plastics in the ocean in the first place. And then let's spend 5% of our time and energy and money on actually cleaning it up. Exactly. So a primary problem with the ocean cleanups plan is that even if you are able to pick up plastic out of the sea, we humans are just going to dump more in it. We are doing terrible things to this plan with plastic. And it's not just an Asia problem. It's all over the world. America produces a ton of trash on its own. So scientists are saying, listen, we don't have a technological fix here. Uh, the ocean cleanup doesn't seem to be a good idea, but we don't have any other ideas really. And the, it really comes down to prevention. So stopping plastic from getting into the ocean in the first place. And there are ways to do that. There's, there's, you know, you legislate better recycling laws. Uh, in Baltimore Harbor, actually, they have these two barges that are essentially giant water wheels that pick up trash that comes along. And over the course of, I believe, just four or five years, they've collected something like a thousand tons of plastic before it reaches the sea outside of Baltimore. Yeah, so, I looked up some videos of those and they're actually pretty cool. They have cute big eyeballs. So, you know, they look like a, a kind of a face or something. 
And it, it's a very simple process. It just scoops the trash out. And as you said, before it spills out into the ocean. They're extremely cute. I think one is named Professor Trash Wheel because why not? But, you know, unfortunately, that is the extent of the technological fix that we have here. At the moment, there just isn't a good technological fix for this problem other than tackling it from a preventive perspective. Matt Simon, science writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.